0: The past few weeks have been super duper um, important for me, Um, primarily because of an an event that I was counting down to that started at the beginning of this month. Um, Veronica Mars dropped on Hulu. (laughs) Uh, It's only been around for about two weeks, and I think there's going to be a picture behind of Veronica Mars in just a minute. But I am already midway through through season two. Bear in mind that not only have I watched this TV show multiple times in its entirety, but I also own them all on DVD. So at any time, I could just plug them right in and watch me some Veronica Mars. But no, Hulu. It was coming on Hulu. Um, It was so important to be streaming again. So I've seen this show several different times, and at different times in my life. I mean, it came out in 2004, so... I've changed a lot since I first watched this show, but when I originally watched it, I thought it was funny and delightful and powerful. Um, This heroine had agency and brain and the ability to outwit some pretty heinous evil. And I kind of saw her as the heir apparent to Buffy, which was super important to me because Buffy saw me through some really difficult times. Um, I, I thought this was super powerful, strong girl power And it was so important because I felt largely trapped and powerless at the time. The second time I watched it all the way through in its entirety was about five months after I moved to D.C. At this point in time, I was moving into a new apartment with a new housemate. I was going back to school, but I hadn't found a job in the city yet, so I was really feeling vulnerable. I had no real community. I hadn't found the table yet. And I watched this and had a completely different perspective. I thought Veronica Mars was super desperate, that she was so much on edge and doing everything in her power just to control the world around her and make sense of it. I saw the show highlighting the vulnerability of a young woman in a pretty unforgiving world. Currently, as I'm rewatching it again, I still love this show, but I have again a completely different perspective. Uh, The things that define my life with my job and all my extracurricular activities is this profound sense of responsibility in so many areas of my life. I have to be extra thoughtful, I have to make decisions that affect people's lives, and a lot of vulnerable people depend on what I do and how I do it. I just don't have the luxury of being impulsive. So as I'm re-watching the show again, I want to ground Veronica Mars. <laughs> she does so much without thinking about it, and it costs the people around her so much. And it just bugs me so very much. People pay the price for her decisions and her impulsive actions. And I know you're sitting there going, uh, Becky, this is a series on James. Why have you just spent the last two minutes talking about Veronica Mars? Good question. Uh, If people ask me what my favorite book of the Bible is, I always come back to James. And it's not because when I was the worship arts, or no, I was not worship arts pastor yet, Um, when I was in the young adult cell, cell group in my church in Indiana, we did this wonderful offertory one Sunday we put on Rich Mullins' song, Screen Door on a Submarine, and did the cup routine in front of the whole congregation. Uh, Anna Kendrick has nothing on Rich Mullins. If you want to see something straight out of the 80s, Google that. Uh, Rich Mullins, Screen Door on a Submarine, Cups, it's fascinating. And you also see those big gulp cups that were like the 32-ounce ones. from it, It's fun. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I did that. That was uh, one of my crowning achievements. Um, But that's not one of the reasons why I love James, even though that song comes straight out of the passages we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't love James because it's a book full of catchy phrases and verses that are easy to memorize, even though there are. Um, And I don't love James because this book makes you feel good, because it doesn't. It is a prickly book. I don't always like it, to be honest, but it is hardcore my favorite. I never encounter this book and leave unscathed. The book of James takes on your character in a very real and pointed way. It doesn't give you space to gloss over it and instead you have to work your way through it and it's like walking through holly bushes. There are moments when what James says prickle right up against your skin and they scratch and leave marks and it's not because they're vicious but it's because it's revealing your true character. show you the person you become. Yet, much like my interactions with Veronica Mars, every time I work my way through James, different things leave their marks. I think this has become, because each time I'm a different person in different circumstances. Sometimes I'm caught by his conversation about my tongue and what I say, and sometimes I come face to face with my own hypocrisy. Sometimes I'm blown away at how fractured I'm living my life, and how I'm not wholehearted. My adventures with the book of James are so colored by who I've become. But one thing is always true. I always have to wrestle with this book. James pretty much demands that you take it on. It challenges you to face yourself and be honest about your motives and your practices. I'm just going to put in a plug right now for reading it through in its entirety. Take time to just do that. It's only five chapters. You can even do it out loud to one another. But it's harder to escape that way. You can't dissect out the pieces that hit you harder. And today I've been tasked with talking to you about a section in James that has three main passages, and all three of them are somewhat unique, but they have some through lines that run through them about character and integration, and I'm going to break them down for you to kind of set context for the sermon. The first part is a section in James 1, 19 through 27, and it's the section on hearers and doers. James is talking about being not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And he sets it up saying you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And here's why. If you do these things, you can cultivate what God has planted in you. And that's what brings life. But he has two warnings in here. And the first is this. Don't fool yourself. You have to hear and act The follow-through is where your life and freedom come. And his second warning is this. Talking a good game isn't enough. What God desires is that you care about the people on the margins. And don't let the world's corruption get the best of us. I'm going to take two seconds here to just caveat out for a minute and say, remind us that in this space, in this church, we are called always to remember people on the margins. And today that's very specific, especially with a lot of the ice raids that are happening. If our hearts and our actions do not follow through with what we say that we believe, we're missing the point and we're not living in life. So I encourage you today look at this book and see what James is calling you to in light of the people around us who are faced with unmentionable suffering and ask what are you meant to be doing with that? Let's get back in here and talk about the second section of James. James talks about favoritism. In James two, from one to 13, he talks about, he gives us suppose. He starts this chapter up by saying, suppose two people come into your gathering and one is wearing the trappings of wealth and power and prestige and the other is not. If you look at the one that has the power and the authority and the cool factor, and you say, hey, you, come sit right here. It's a great seat. Can I get you some coffee? Like, how are things going? And you are nice to them. And the other one that comes back, you're like, "Um, come back here in the seat here in the back. You are practicing favoritism. And James calls this out. He says, when you do this, you are setting yourself up as judges who have been corrupted. He calls us to love our neighbor. He says, the law, which says we are to love our neighbor, brings life. But favoritism is judgment, and that judgment brings judgment. He ends this with a little caveat. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So you should act with mercy just as one who seeks mercy from the law. And the third section in James that I have to kind of talk about today is from James 2, 14 through 26. And this side is talking about faith and works. And James says, these two are intertwined. You can't separate them. He sets up another suppose. He says, suppose you've got somebody who you encounter, who has nothing, who is living on the margins, who is hungry, who is naked, and you're like, hey, be clothed with the Holy Spirit, I hope God gives you a good meal, have a great day, and go on your way, and do nothing to help their physical situation, you are ridiculous, your faith has no power, he says, some people may say, hey, um, you, you can have your works, but I have faith, and he's like, that's ridiculous, these two have to go hand in hand, he this is the proof. Abraham had faith. He believed it was credited to him as righteousness, but then he went and did some really powerful things that acted out his faith. He also uses the proof of Rahab. He calls her Rahab the prostitute for a reason. He says, Rahab the prostitute, whom everybody looked down on, actually had faith. And then she put her life on the line, and now she is considered righteous because her faith and works went hand in hand. If you separate the two it is death. It's ineffectual. So all three of these scriptures that I've kind of like paraphrased over and glossed over for you have at their core this clarion call to be people who live the character of Christ as they follow him. We can't be people who say one thing and do another. That creates fractured lives and fractured people, and Jesus is calling us to be integrated to be wholehearted, where what we do and believe are in line with each other. And as James calls us to this, he's really pointed in his message, and his metaphors are razor sharp. But the thing with James is that this isn't a book or a letter just to read and be done with. It's not a book just to hear a particularly powerful sermon about and then file away. It's calling you to wrestle with it. James is challenging us to interact with what he says, which brings us back to Veronica Mars. Just as I was a different person with different experiences and passions and dreams and fears every time I watched Veronica Mars and that colored the way I saw it, every time I have read and wrestled my way through James, I have brought myself such as it was to intersect with this letter sometime one time i was a woman letting go of her learned faith and finding her own one time i went through it i was a youth pastor another i was sort of a service missionary one time i went through the book of james i was a service industry worker and that changed my perspective a lot i read through it as a woman wrestling with loss and here i am again wrestling with it as an elder I've never been the same person. And each iteration through the book has its own flavor, its own journey, its own points of contention. And in some ways, this is so beautiful because it means this finite book, these five chapters have this infinite ability to change me. It's almost as if these words have life. But even so, how do I then, in this sermon, decide which possibility, which interpretation, which cultural lens... Which Veronica Mars I share with you today. And then it hit me. I don't. Instead, I try an experiment. I do something a little different. Why don't I give you a hands-on way to figure out how the book of James challenges each of you? I can lead you in a few methods of intersecting with this text that give you the opportunity to really enter in and do your own wrestling. I think it's not effective for me to teach you about James' wisdom, as it is effective for me to help you encounter it. So I'm going to change things up a bit and invite you to join with me in using a couple different spiritual practices. I'm going to walk us through a Lectio Divina exercise and an Ignatian imaginative prayer exercise today. These are both contemplative spiritual practices and methods that invite us and create room for us to think and find different ways to explore what we're encountering. Usually these can be both practiced in solitary and in community. But this sermon setting is kind of an amalgam of both. So it's not really going to be good for a lot of personal conversation. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to take notes of your experience on the way. So if you need to pull out your phone or you need to pull out a piece of paper and a pen absolutely fine, but I invite you to make those notes and then share them. You can grab me afterwards or one of your friends or take it to your dinner party, but share what you're experiencing in this today. I'm going to start with a practice called Lectio Divina. This is a Latin practice that means um, divine reading. It treats the sacred text like a living word and not just a text to be studied. We'll be working through a scripture in James four times, and each time through, I will give you a prompt, something to be thinking of, so that as you're pondering, you have a framework for engaging with this sacred text. I will leave us some moments of silence in between each time to give us space, and after each stage is done, I'll share, you, share with you a little bit of my perspective as I worked through this practice with this passage the very end i'll leave a little room for maybe if there are a couple people who want to share their ending points they can do that so i want to start us by setting our intent and inviting the holy spirit to help us make space to encounter and engage this word so if you feel comfortable close your eyes um, if you want feel your breath moving in and out holy spirit we invite you here to help us make this experiment We pray that you would find ways to connect your word with our lives and bring your truth home deep in our hearts. I'm going to start with a passage in James 1, 19 to 24, focused on hearing and doing. And the first time I read it, I want you to be paying attention to the narrative. This is your time to just hear the passage. As I read, if there are words or phrases that stick out to you, Jot them down. And in our pause after reading, reflect on them. Note how they're touching with you and interacting with you. James one nineteen to twenty four. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. For me, As I practiced Lectio Divina on this passage, there were four words that stuck out to me. Slow, slow, look, forget. As I thought about how these words touched me, I squirmed quite a bit. My stress level has been pretty high recently, and this plays out in many ways. find that I don't have enough downtime or time to breathe, and my capacity for grace and patience is a casualty of this. It's really low. I don't have enough for myself or anybody else. I'm quickly cranky, and I quickly forget things that I need to remember. These words seem to point in a magnifying glass on the things I'm not doing well and remind me that I, of the things I need to remain healthy and whole. In a moment, I'm gonna read this passage again. This time, I invite you to look at this in a metaphorical or allegorical way. Are there some deeper spiritual meanings that you see here? Does this remind you of something else in scripture or something that Jesus did or said? Does it remind you of a story or a poem or a visual piece of art or a movie? If so, how? And in our pause after the reading, I encourage you to look over these connections. What allegorical ties are you seeing? My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted within you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This reading really evoked for me a book I loved when I was a child, The Secret Garden. The main character, Mary Lennox, experienced a great trauma in her early life and then ended up in a dark and dreary home in Yorkshire where she wasn't wanted. It was full of crying and loneliness. She was quick to throw a temper tantrum and often angry and sharp with the people around her. But by fluke, she found a key and a hidden gate and an overgrown, and dying walled garden. However, with the help of a boy named Dickon, she began the hard work of planting and cultivating life and beauty. It took a lot of work cutting out and getting rid of the weeds and the brambles that were choking the plants, pruning the trees and the bushes. But in the work, she was changed. And she began to invite the people around her to interact with this garden. And in the process, she helped a miserable child walk again and brought healing to a father-son relationship. This book saw the main characters learn to know themselves and be transformed in the process of being really seen. This passage made me think about that and I just had this tangible way of looking at the idea of getting rid of filth and evil in a really poignant, hands-on way. The third time I read this passage, I invite you to connect it to your own life. Do you have a past experience that relates to this passage? Do you have something that's going on right now that intersects with it? If so, make some notes, and in the pause after reading, take a moment to reflect on how this passage intersects with your experiences, your dreams, your hopes, your attitudes, and your belief. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. long time ago. I used to work in a nursing home in an Alzheimer's wing. We had one resident who was very often cantankerous. However, we could always settle her down by giving her a bundled up mess of yarn, several different balls that had been tangled together and were knotty and messy. We could tell her that someone made a mess and we needed her help in fixing it. And she would happily sit down for hours, detangle everything, to present us with four or five neatly round balls of yarn and be so happy to help. But every night, as soon as she was asleep, it was one of the aides' job to take these balls, unwind them, tangle them up again, make them as big a mess as possible. And then the next day, she'd get angry or combative and someone would bring out the yarn. And she'd get so excited that we needed her to help. Work and sort it out, give it back, go to sleep, rinse. Repeat, and listen to the last line of this passage, and I think of all this futile work, effort spent, but pretty much for nothing, just to do it again. Making me think of some of the empty rituals that I have done, prayers that I have prayed because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. It was looking at my proverbial face in a mirror and forgetting what I looked like. It was wasted and futile. So as I read this passage for a final time, this is the time for invitation and action. As I read, think about what the passage is calling each of you to. How is this passage calling you to an integrated life? How is it calling you to pay attention or learn more about something? In the pause that follows the reading, ask yourself for a step that you can take in response. How can you use this to... as a springboard to align yourself more closely to your values make a note of this so you can follow up this week my dear brothers and sisters take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So, as we wrap this time up, is there anyone here who might, in one or two sentences, just want to shout out what action step they're kind of called to this week? You don't have to, but I just want to leave that open. I think each one of us interacts with this sacred text in a different way. We all bring our experiences and hopes and understandings and passions to bear on this word. And we can see it differently. I think if we polled everyone in this room, there are likely to be some pretty strong themes, but we would be surprised at all the different connections people would draw. Some of us may read this scripture as a very powerful exhortation, and some of us may see it as an encouragement. James wrote his words to specific communities, but in many ways what he wrote is infinitely creative because it connects to all of us in subtly different ways. And that's the beauty of this book. A book written thousands of years ago can speak to each of our lives today. One solitary letter from an ordinary man becomes infinite. As we leave out today, I'm gonna do one more practice with us. Um, It's one that requires a little imagination. St. Ignatius um, began a a spiritual practice called Imaginative Prayer back in the day. And he suggested sometimes our interactions with the sacred text can take on new meanings if we put ourselves in the middle of the scene, watching and imagining people's reactions and looking for God moving in that moment. Then we can reach out to God in prayer to process how the Holy Spirit is using this text to change us. For some of you, I think this sounds a little scary and nebulous, but for some of you, I think you might be a little excited to put yourself there and present. So what I'm going to do is read a scripture. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and recreate this scene in your mind. You can either be a person meeting James as he shares his wisdom with you, or a person observing the interaction that James describes. What do you notice? How do the characters appear in the story? How do they react? And in the pause after I read, ask yourself who you identify with. What struck you as you visualized it? And how is God speaking to you through this text? I'm going to close in prayer, but as I do it, take a moment to talk to God and pray a response to what he shows you in this text. If you feel you can, close your eyes. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith? and do nothing to show it. Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough to eat. What if one of you said to them, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them something their body needs? In the same way, Faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Now someone might claim, you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your action? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. Thank you for this messy, meaty, prickly book. Thank you for the way it provokes and encourages and shakes us. So we've taken this time to meet you here in this text, continue to change us and shape us to be more like you. Amen.